Welcome to the two-man game. I'm your host, Landon Holland, and with me as always, my co-host, Xavier Rocha. What's up, Roach? What's up, Dando? How have you been? We haven't recorded in a while. Yeah, it's it's been way too long, especially when we're coming on the end stretch of the NBA season. We got playoffs right in front of us, so we got we got a lot to talk about today, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to get back. I kind of wanted to open up with some of the latest NBA news and just kind of get your take on some of the stuff going on around the league, if that's cool with you. Yeah, go for it. So, Paul George returned last night, scored 34 points in a return in his return against the Jazz and led the Clippers to a win. Do you think with a healthy Paul George that they could make a run like they did last year or do you think being a lower seed and possibly having to go against the Grizzlies or the Suns will kind of stunt that path to like a, a successful playoff run? Yeah, well, I think this team has been not appreciated like the whole year, even without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, because even without those two guys, this this team's been winning games with players like Reggie Jackson and just all their like role players have really stepped up this season. But when it comes to making a playoff run, I don't think very uh, plausible when they're going to end up playing a one or two seed in Phoenix or Memphis. I just don't think, even if Paul George is playing at like peak Paul George level, I think those teams are just too good right now for them to even take to like a seven game series. I think the most they can get is two games in a series against either either of those teams. But I think this team has a lot to look forward to next season, especially when they get Kawhi back and just the moves they've made this season, especially with the Nor- Norman Powell trade and just the versatility they have in this uh, wing lineup. And yeah, I like this team a lot. I just, I don't see them beating either Memphis or Phoenix. Do you think they could? Uh, I mean, I'm, I totally agree with you, but I mean, that's like, if they come in playing good to end the season and Kawhi Leonard's like, you know, maybe almost ready or is ready, but maybe the thing that's holding them back is, do they think they could like go on a run in the playoffs as an eight seed? Like if they have him return, I think that could be a big question. And if he does return, that would be absolutely crazy. And that would, I think would change the playoffs a lot. Yeah. I just, I don't know if the Clippers would want to bring back Kawhi for a first round series against like two of the best teams in the NBA. Like, if they were playing a team that like they really thought they had a good chance to beat, like obviously they would think they could beat them with Kawhi, but like just to bring him back for that like intense of a series when he hasn't played basketball in like about a year, I just sure. I don't think they would do that. Yeah, like but, if he was going to return, you'd want him to return within these last few games to kind of ramp up a little bit. Yeah, and with only like six games left of the season. It's looking like there's not a great chance that he's going to return this year. Okay. And then there was news around the Lakers that LeBron James and Anthony Davis will return or are aiming for a Friday return, which would leave them about seven games to play to end the season and kind of head into the playoffs and try to reclaim their playing spot. 
Do you have any thoughts on that, or the Lakers just done no matter what? I personally think the Lakers are going to miss out on the play-in. Um, just looking at their remaining schedule, they have Denver twice, they have Golden State, they have Phoenix, they have Utah, and they have New Orleans. And those are six out of their seven games remaining. Um, even with those two guys back, they haven't, like, when they've all played, they haven't, like, looked like a super great team either way. And those are those are all play-in or playoff teams, mostly, like, top of the playoffs With when I listed off those teams. Um, so. Granted, they haven't had much run together. So, I mean, we yeah, haven't seen yeah. much of it. But with that schedule and then looking at um, San Antonio's schedule, San Antonio has Portland twice, who is pulling out every good player on that team so they can lose games. And, I mean, then they have some tough games, but San Antonio is playing a lot better than the Lakers right now. And, I mean, it comes down to, I think, does San Antonio want to make the plan? Because if they don't make the plan, they get their lottery odds, which... I know they have like three first round picks in this next draft, so the front office might want to look at that and like decide, okay, we don't we don't wanna get this playing spot, but I don't think San Antonio is like a franchise that is just all about tanking and maybe they do want to make the play in, but yeah. Yeah, I think having your players play full seasons is kind of rewarding just because they kind of get that full 82 game season like feel instead of sitting out like the latter half of the season or most of the end of the season like for example the thunder always sit their players but i feel like that's kind of like a like san antonio always is aiming for like developing players and they have done so very well as of late and i feel like just like getting in situations like a play in game or playing late games in the season is kind of helpful in developing players and like getting them better. So I don't see San Antonio kind of shying away from the play in tournament just because yeah. it kind of gives them that postseason feel. Yeah, I think playing games that matters is very important for the development of young players and like if players are just in situations where they're just playing for draft picks for their first like five years of their career then I think that really stunts the development of those players but uh yeah I think the Lakers and Spurs are definitely going to be neck and neck for the remainder of the season but um and you do have to look at the Pelicans because they are only like yeah game above the Lakers so I just think the Pelicans are playing the best out of those, those three. three teams, and they also have a game up. But yeah, Pelicans are cer- certainly in that mix too. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting just to see all across the league how the standings kind of switch up here to end the season. Yeah, and, and then, then we we got the one through four seed in the East trying to figure out who's going to play uh, Brooklyn in the first round, which I think all four of those teams are okay with getting the three or four seed and, and avoiding Brooklyn in the first round. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. No one wants to see Brooklyn in the first round. That's just the worst thing possibly for any team. Um, another piece of news is a sad piece of news. I think we're both Robert Williams fans, and we're kind of excited to see what the Celtics could do in the playoffs. And Robert Williams goes out um, with a meniscus tear. And right now, the timetable after his surgery is four to six weeks, which would shoot him to possibly returning in the second round of the playoffs if like everything goes well. Um, I mean, I, I think this is de- detrimental detrimental to the Celtics and like their what they're trying to accomplish this year. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or how much you think Robert Williams means to this team. Yeah. Uh. Well, I saw that tweet this morning from Woj that it was possibly four weeks for a return, which that was super uplifting for all NBA fans and especially Celtics fans um, because they can definitely win a first-round series without him, depending on the matchup. But I don't think they were going to be able to compete against like the top teams in the East without Robert Williams. I think he's that important to this team. I think he has cemented himself as like a top five like center as when it comes to defense, and he brings like so much to the Celtics team. He is a lob threat. He's turned into a really good passer, and then watching him on the defensive end um, alongside Marcus Smart, um, they're just like a horrible duo to go against when it comes to like pick and roll. He's a great rim protector. He can switch on smaller players, and he's just an incredible athlete that um, they'll definitely miss when it comes playoff time because Al Horford's a great defender, but he doesn't bring that same like athleticism. And like, I don't think players fear going at Al Horford like they do going at Robert Williams. Yeah, just eliminating that defensive versatility and. Like, no knock on Grant Williams, but he's not even close to Robert Williams. So inserting him into the starting lineup, they kind of just lose a lot, and it's going to be tough for them to win. But I do think that with their duo, they can win any game just because of their ability offensively. And, yeah. I mean, they they still do have really good defenders on that team. It's just losing one of their best is going to be tough to kind of figure out, I guess. Yeah, I think I think Marcus Smart's probably their best defender, but when it comes to like most important, it might be Robert Williams just because he brings that rim protection and that like big that can switch on smaller guards that's so important in the league today. Yeah, for sure. But Celtics um, fans should definitely like be excited that he could return come second round if they are able to get like a favorable matchup in the first round. Yeah, and just be optimistic as Celtics fans just because, I mean, you started off this season like so bad and they picked it up so well post-All-Star break and even a little bit before that looking forward to next year, all these guys are going to be returning and you could do something to add even more pieces and get better. So, I mean, just be optimistic about what the future holds, I guess. 
Um, staying along with the Celtics topic, I kind of want to touch on Coach of the Year and talk about Ime Udoka, who at the beginning of the season didn't look like a great pick to be a head coach, I guess, because the Celtics started out 25-25, and 25, and this was as of January 28th. And now they sit at 47 and 29 since that period. So that's going 22 and four since then. Um, They've been playing incredible defense. Jason Tatum is playing at all NBA MVP level. And I mean, before this injury, they looked like kind of the team to be in the East or one of them and looked like they could make a huge run going into the postseason. Um, what are your thoughts on Ime Udoka and just what he's done with the Celtics roster? Yeah, I think I think this Celtics team is one of like the best stories we had this year. Just like with the complete shift in this team. Um there was times at the beginning of the season where most of the media was talking about firing the coach, breaking up uh JB and Jason Tatum. Um and they were just a complete mess, having players' meetings and just losing game after game. And now we're talking about if they get fully healthy, could they make a run at the NBA Finals? Like, that doesn't really happen in this league much, where, like, the first half of the season you're just a complete mess and then you're looked at as a contender come this like come playoff time. And I think that's a testament to not only... Uh, the head coach, but the front office and Brad Stevens uh, getting players like Derek White and then just the leadership of this team, which I don't, I don't feel like they have like one like set leader, but I think like their core guys like Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum and Al Horford, those guys have like led this team well down the stretch and they found ways to win games and not only win games, but they're like they've been blowing teams out in the second half of the season, which has been very impressive. So yeah, I think um, I think Yudoko is certainly up there when it comes to coach of the year. But then you have to look at like there's so many coaches that could deserve this award this year, like uh, Monty Williams, Jason Kidd. Yeah, there's just Bolstra, who we've been riding all season. I feel, but Taylor Jenkins for the Grizzlies. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a lot of candidates for sure. This is a Coach of the Year award that is not like obvious at all, and I think I think it might come down to just being by far the best team, the Phoenix Suns. I think Monty Williams might just have to win this award just because. They've been by far the best team the whole year without like any hiccups really. Like they've never gone on like a losing skid, and they've also not been completely healthy. And people, people got to re- realize that like Booker's been out, Paul's been out, Aiton was out for a long time, uh, Cam Johnson was out. So Monty Williams is probably my favorite for the award, but yeah, there's there's a large list. So you can't really go wrong with any of those guys we mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I was riding Spolstra a lot just because early on the Heat were dealing with all these injuries. Um, But yeah, I mean, the Suns have stayed super consistent throughout the whole year, even dealing with injuries as well. And I mean, they're the best team in the league by far. 
and kind of look like they might run away with the West if they, everything goes well for them. And like, obviously injuries go well for them. Um, but yeah, the coach of the year is definitely anyone's game. I feel like it could be any of the top coaches or like top seeds in the league. So yeah, for sure. Um, next I want to touch on the latest MVP poll. So, um, the last poll was in February and Embiid led that poll with 45 first place votes and Jokic had 43. Um, and then at the latest post, Jokic passed Embiid and had 62 first place votes and Embiid had 29. And I just want to read off their numbers, like since the last poll, which was in February. So Embiid's averaged 31, 12, and 3 on 47% shooting, 33 from 3, and 83% from the free throw line with a 4.7 plus minus and a 10 and 5 record. And Jokic has averaged 27, 13, and 8 on 60% shooting, 22 from 3, 82 from the free throw line with a 1.6 plus minus and an 11 and 6 record. So, I mean, their numbers aren't too far off. Um, I just, I think it's kind of confusing how Jokic just kind of like completely jumped Embiid and it's like not even close when their numbers are really similar and their records are also similar. Like, I don't know if that's because of James Harden being there and maybe they look like, or look at that, like Embiid has less of a load and the fact that the records are similar just is kind of a testament to how good Jokic has been in at leading the Nuggets. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think this race is still neck and neck between those two guys. But I think um there's two like important games that we gotta look at. I think that might have swayed the voting. So I know that Denver and Philly played a couple weeks ago and Jokic completely dominated that matchup and it was in Philly and Denver took away that win when Philly was fully healthy and I think that could have definitely like raised the Jokic stock when it comes to MVP and then also a game last night uh I mean this was this was a game after the polls came out but again Embiid got outplayed by a MVP candidate and Giannis and I just think like those head-to-head matchups are super important and Embiid like losing in both of those matchups I think shows that maybe like he's like not as important as Jokic and uh, Giannis but obviously Embiid's been dominant and has a strong case for the MVP but I think you got to look at head-to-head matchups, and I think those two games can be important when it comes to, like, media voting. But other than that, um, yeah, when you bring up the stats and, like, plus-minus and records, I think they're all pretty similar. The only thing is they have similar records in the last 15 games, and Jokic is still playing without Murray and Porter, and Embiid has James Harden and a fully healthy team. Yeah, and I feel like that was Embiid's biggest storyline throughout the whole year was not having Ben Simmons, not having that secondary star next to him, and he was still winning. 
So I feel like now that he has a star, it's kind of like you have to do more than what you were doing all year, like with another co-star, and you have to be better. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know if you have thoughts on, like, Devin Booker's MVP candidacy or even Luka Doncic's MVP candidacy. Like, do you think they should have more recognition than, than they're getting? And do you think this should be more than just a three-man race between Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis? Uh, I think I think those guys deserve the recognition they're getting, but I think when it comes to MVP, like those guys that make a late push usually don't like end up getting real recognition. So like when it comes to Embiid, Jokic, and Giannis, those three guys have been like mentioned all year long, and they've been dominant all year long. So I think those are the guys that you really have to focus on. Um. But yeah, I think Booker and Ja and Luca have all been great these last few months and so should definitely be mentioned in the MVP race. But yeah, I don't think I don't think they'll end up getting the award. I think it'll come down to probably Jokic or Embiid. I mean, I just think Booker's especially Booker, I think Booker should be in the top three for sure, just because he's been so consistent all year long. And as we just talked about, they've been winning games without or like with injuries and he's still winning games with CP three out and cam Johnson missing as of late. And I mean, he's just being super efficient, super consistent on the court with his numbers. And he hasn't had like, like as an MVP candidate, you can't have any slumps really, or else you're kind of, like looked at to not be in the race, like you have to be consistent throughout the entire season, and I feel like Booker's done that, and he has the best record in the league, and is the best player on that team, I think. So I feel like he should be looked at as a top three MVP candidate, if not number one. So but you, I guess maybe you do he doesn't think- have that big storyline and the super big numbers, but he has been super consistent. I just. When I watch Phoenix, I think they're just such a good team. And, like, obviously he's, like, leading that team to wins, but I think the team around him has just been so solid that, like, he probably doesn't get the recognition he deserves just because, like, there's not been a lot of... Like, he hasn't had to deal with a lot of issues in the season. Like, they've just been winning games. And then, like, when you talk about players like Jokic and Giannis, they're averaging like high numbers and rebounds assist and points and Booker is a player that's like he can he can like play make too but he's a scorer first so sometimes his numbers don't look as impressive as those other guys yeah i mean all that's true i just think i, I don't know i just think Booker should get more recognition because like for example, say Murray was on the like Murray and Porter Jr. are healthy. Obviously, the Nuggets would have way more wins, but I do think Jokic's numbers would also be down. Like they wouldn't be as monumental as they are, just because I mean they're going to take some of the scoring load off, and his numbers won't be as good. So, would he have an MVP candidate or like an MVP resume throughout the season with those two players healthy? Like if they were sitting at the one seed or the two seed. Yeah, I think I think if Denver was fully healthy, he'd still have a great case just because I think I think Denver could 
be right up with Phoenix with like 60 plus wins. I think that team's that good with Porter and Murray at full health. But, but is but isn't that Jokic's like main kind of I guess like storyline is that he doesn't have those players and that's like it's crazy that they're still this good. Yeah, I think I think his storyline would just shift and it'd be like oh Jokic is like the best offensive player in the league by far on the best team in the league like still leading the league in triple doubles and just having insane nights after insane nights. But that's that's just my take. I just think Jokic is that good and oh he is. He, I mean he is actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kind of like trying to look at both situations and like if Jokic did have those players his numbers would go down and they would kind of be I'm not saying they would go down. Roach uh, disconnected. I'll keep uh, talking about the Jokic MVP case, I think. Roach, you there? Hello? What's up? Yeah, I just, I don't even know what just happened. My computer just like shut. Yeah, let's let's keep it rolling. I, I was talking about the Jokic MVP case still. You want to? Did you, so you didn't hear anything I just said? No, just, just, yeah, just restart, restart what you were saying. So, I mean, I was just kind of saying, like, Booker and Jokic would be, like, kind of in similar situations. Obviously, Jokic would be, like, I feel like his numbers wouldn't go down super drastically. Like, I'm not take, trying to take so much away from him because he is that great and is just an insane offensive talent. But I feel like Booker's sitting at the number one seed, like, by a mile and he's kind of been the best player on the team throughout the entire season and has led them just like Jokic would have if he would have these other two players. So, I mean, I'm not trying to say that Booker like is better than Jokic at all or any way, but I'm just saying he should have more MVP recognition than he's getting. Like, I'm pretty sure he's sitting like sixth or seventh on the MVP ladder, which is crazy. Another take I have against Booker, not that I'm like against this Booker for MVP case, but like the first half of the season, I think a majority of MVP like love was going to Chris Paul over Devin Booker. So like, what do you think about that? Like, well, I think that's just because obviously last year it went towards him just because the Suns weren't that good before he got there and he kind of elevated them. So I feel like. Every time people look at the Suns, they're always looking at, oh, when like Booker and the Suns got good when Chris Paul got there, you know? And I feel like that's always going to be the storyline behind Booker and maybe why he doesn't get the recognition he deserves. But with Chris Paul being out and them still winning, I kind of think that shows like the, Sun te- the Suns team is good and Booker is that good. Like he can lead this team to wins. Yeah, I think I think it's also... I think this season has cemented him as the best player on that team. Like, I think last year, a lot of people would say Chris Paul was the best player of that team, but I think Booker's taken that role, and I think uh, down the stretch, 
obviously they'll both play a big role in like closing games, but I think Booker is the guy that they want like leading that team down the stretch, like taking the last shot. For sure. Games. All right. Um I wanted to move on and talk about like the bottom of the league as we have like teams tanking, taking players out and like just obviously trying to lose games. Um and then along with that, we have I'm sure a lot of our listeners have watched March Madness and I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the players that we've seen this tournament. But let's start off with just um uh, looking at like the bottom six or seven teams and like I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on like the tanking teams and who should be and who shouldn't be tanking come the last ten or so games of the season? Um, I mean personally I just think the tank race is kind of between the, the bottom four, both from each conference. Um, so the Thunder and the Rockets from the West and then the Pistons and Magic from the East. I mean, that race is just so close. And like right now, the Rockets, Pistons and Magic all sit at 20 and 56. So, I mean, that just kind of goes to like who won what games against each other and who has like, I guess, scored more against each team. Um, but the Thunder, I feel like, always do this where they start sitting out their players and then they win games that they shouldn't. And they did this last year and kind of shoot themselves out of the top three or top top four. Um, so, I mean, we're going to see. I, I don't think the Thunder are going to be at the bottom three. I do think it's going to be the Pistons, Magic, and Rockets, just by the way the standings are looking. Um, but, yeah. It's it's just interesting to see like the bad teams just start sitting their players for injuries they may have with air quotes. I put air quotes on that. Um it's just kind of funny to see. But yeah, I mean like we got other... games <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, you're good, you're good. We got we got games like against OKC in Portland that's like starring Isaiah Roby, Theo Maladone, and Brandon Williams and Drew Eubanks. And like that's that's what comes with tanking. Like these teams are taking players out for the rest of the season, um, and it's hard to watch. But obviously, these teams are doing it for their future. But yeah, yeah. I mean, and other teams that should just try to be losing. Obviously, any team that knows they can't make the play in, obviously, you just want to lose because you're trying to get the better better odds to land the number one pick um but one stat i did see that was pretty interesting was like what seeds have gotten the number one pick like over the last few years and it was like the number one overall odds have gotten it like three times the number or maybe landed in the top three i guess that's what it was so the the like team with the number one overall odds are like I guess that had the worst record in the league landed in the top three, three out of three times. And then the second and third seeds only landed in their one time. And then the fourth worst team in the league landed in their zero times out of the last three. Oh, wow. 
So I feel like maybe the fourth worst team in the league is like due f- to land in the top three and maybe the worst team in the league's due to not land in there. I don't know. But I mean, that was just kind of interesting to see like the last three drafts. The second and third worst teams in the league have dropped out two out of three times. So yeah. the lottery, the lottery is definitely something that it's way more interesting the, now that yeah. the odds have totally flipped and it's not like, like how they were before it was kind of set in stone. Like the number, the worst team in the league is going to get the number one pick. Like they had 25% odds to get it. Now it's, isn't it 15, 15, 15 or something, something like that. So they all have the same chance and it kind of eliminates tanking but i mean you still see it like it's happened the last few years where teams just try to get there to the bottom three and just kind of elevate their odds a little bit oh yeah if if the nba draft was like the nfl where the worst team got the first pick it it'd be a mess when it comes to teams taking tanking i don't know what teams would try to do to (laughs) try to lose games it'd be It'd be interesting to watch, but yeah. Good thing we have the lottery to even out the tanking in the league. Yeah, the lottery system's just super good, I think, to just kind of keep the league balanced and also just eliminate tanking. Yeah. Um bit. from these like tanking teams, obviously like the better players get sat down, so young players get like more chance to have a bigger role. Have you seen any like of these young players that like in- intrigues you out of like these bottom teams? Well, I mean, so Jeremy Grant got sat out for the rest of the season, I think like a couple of days ago. And I mean, Hade's been kind of bringing it here as of late, you know, making that late case for rookie of the year. And I mean, he's been good when he's like, he was out for the first. I don't know, first part of the season, but since he's been playing, he's been, he's looked like the best rookie in, in the league and kind of had to fight his way back to like, back in the rookie of the year race because he did miss time to start the start the year. But I mean, he's looked super good and looks like he can be an bona fide all-star and in the future. So, I mean, Cade Cunningham for sure for the Pistons, just because he has so much opportunity to control that team and control the, like the flow of the game because I mean there's really no one else on that team. Yeah, I he's that. he's my rookie of the year just I mean with the games he missed that obviously hurts his case but when you watch like all three of the top rookies and Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley and Kid Cunningham, it just like it seems kind of obvious to me that he's the best player this year and he's going to be the best player out of all of them. I think he's that good. And yeah, Mobley's been incredible and the Cavs have been really good, but I think Cade Cunningham has been the most impressive rookie this year. Well, yeah. And just with Mobley now, he could miss the rest of the year potentially with that sprained ankle or just miss even games. That's going to just not go towards his case. And, with Kate playing, he's just going to elevate his case even more. Um, And then I had one player that 
I've really enjoyed watching since okay. uh, these last few games is Alper and Shingun for the Rockets. Um, they've been giving him a lot more run, and I think Christian Wood has started to play a lot less, and I think he actually could end up getting set down the rest of the season. I know he didn't play last game, but Shingun is like, was a super interesting prospect coming into the draft and like he got a lot of a lot of love from summer league and just what he could do as a passer and just a competitive competitive player um he got comparisons to Jokic and Sabonis and I think it should be super exciting to watch him play these last six games of the season if he continues to like get that starting role. Um I know he had a twenty seven point game the other night and I know it's like he's playing in meaningless games, but I think Shingun is gonna be a really fun player to watch for this Rockets team. And I think next year he could continue to have a big role and we'll see. But yeah, I just wanted to mention him. I think he's I mean, a super Super interesting team just because I feel like they have so many like trade candidates or like potential ones for next year. Like John Wall, Eric Gordon, Christian Wood could even get traded if like they believe in Shengun that much. Um But yeah, I mean they have ways that they can get more young talent for like the older talent that they do have on their roster still. And just get assets for those players. So I mean the Rockets are definitely super interesting. Heading into the lottery and just into next season. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of talent around these tanking teams. So like there's not there's not one team I look at and say like dang, like we're going to get a lottery pick but also like we don't have a lot to build around. Like I think looking at every single one of these tanking teams like they could they could do well in the draft and if they're fully healthy next year, they could they could play into like the playing tournament or even like make a push at the six seed. Like each one of these teams has interesting cases at being like really solid teams if everything goes right in the offseason. Yeah, and a lot of them sit with um assets to where if they are good, they could go out and get a player to better their roster. Like the Rockets have the picks from James Harden. The Thunder have all their picks, obviously. Um, the Magic have a couple picks from the Vucevic trade. So, I mean, like th- those three bottom teams have assets to go and get kind of players they want, maybe. Um, and they all have the cap space to do it. I mean, if the Rockets can offload John Wall, that's going to open up their books a ton. And even Eric Gordon with his $20 million cap is. So, yeah. I mean, they all have a lot of flexibility, too, to get better. So, like, out of those bottom four teams, when you look at, so, like, Cade and the Pistons, and then you look at, like, Suggs, Isaac, the young core and the Magic, uh, the Rockets young core, and then Giddy, Shea, and the Thunder young core, like, who are you most excited to watch, like, in the draft and the offseason, and, like, have the most to look forward to for next season? And, like, I know you're a Thunder fan, so you're probably going to say the Thunder, but, like, I I guess just talk about like each one of those teams. So, I mean, it all kind of depends on where their lottery odds fall. Um, Just based on like what they need. Like if the Thunder fall to four or get the fourth odds, 
and like those three bigs get taken, I feel like you kind of look at the situation different because, I mean, as a Thunder fan, I do think they should just take best player available, which would be Ivy. I think he would like his aim to get picked four. And like you just slide Giddy to the three and just run the that three guard lineup kind of, just because Giddy has the size to do it. Um, that, that those three would be scary. <laughs> oh my gosh! But yeah, I do. I do think it's gonna like the lottery odds and like where teams fall is gonna have a bigger impact on like how I think they're gonna look next season. Um, but like the Pistons. With Cade, obviously they're gonna. I do think they're gonna take a jump, um, depending on what they do. I guess with Jeremy Grant, like I feel like he could be a trade candidate to where they get some assets and maybe get more young players there. The Magic. I mean, Suggs is good. I know you always bring up Isaac, but who knows when he's gonna play next? Um, I like Wendell Carter a lot. Um, Franz. Yeah, Franz Wagner. Is Markel. I guess you can name your boy Markel if you want. Um, I mean, they do have a ton of young pieces, and Suggs and Franz Wagner are two fun pieces to build around. Um, I feel like all four of these bottom teams are going to take a jump next year, and you're going to see maybe a team like the Pacers fall after they deal uh, Brogdon. You're going to see the Wizards kind of tumble when they trade Beal. You're going to see the Knicks fall when they trade Julius Randle. Like, the standings are going to kind of move a lot next season, I think, with these bottom four teams all taking jumps, and you're going to see the Kings I think, fall. And I think we're going to see the Jazz fall, if I'm being honest. Hey, if they trade Mitchell. I mean, if they get a first-round exit, I do think they blow it up. So they're, then you see the Jazz fall as well with, with the Kings. So. so, yeah, I mean, I feel like all four of these bottom teams have a lot of potential to grow next season. And I like where, where they're all heading. And yeah. it, I think it just, like you said, they all have like the potential assets or like, and the high potential like guards or players on their team to be really good here, here soon. Yeah. I, I think the young talent in this league is like pretty insane, which makes like every team have something exciting to look forward to. But uh, I wanted to shift to like, I know you watched the tournament some, but did you have any players that like caught your eye that like aren't like the top talked about players when it comes to the draft, but like some sleepers in the draft that you like or just players that caught your attention? They could potentially be drafted. I, mean, I don't know if I caught any sleepers just because, I mean, I wasn't watching the tournament that much, but I was watching like the higher talent players, obviously, because the Thunder are going to kind of be shooting to get one of those guys. Um, and I mean, watching Jaden Ivey versus, versus Texas, he just looked like he had like the factored and it's just like his first step is so fast. Like he looks like he was like just way better than any player out there on the court. And like the way he would split double teams with his like quickness was just super fun to watch. And then 
you saw the potential of his three-point shot in that game as well. So, I mean, I like Jay Ivey a lot. I just, as a Thunder fan, I want one of the, I guess, the big three, you can call them. Um, but yeah, even Paulo Banchero's just looked super good, obviously, in the Final Four. His, like, his ability to shot create and shoot threes is super promising to, like, for him to be good in the NBA. And, I mean, I feel like he can become a super good defender just because he's a bigger wing and can kind of has the versatility to guard one through five, I guess. Who's your Who's your number one pick right now? Who's your, like, favorite prospect out of everybody? Uh, Apollo, I think. Okay. Just I just see more versatility with him, especially offensively. Like, he can go create his own shot and can get buckets. Yeah, he's he's been my favorite prospect all year, and he's still locked in as my number one pick, like, no matter who he's drafting. That's just my opinion. But, uh... I mean, Chet, I think Chet's just the best defender. I guess paint-wise, he's literally just a monster down there. And then Jabari's just the incredible athlete that has, I mean, definitely has the tools to be super good. So, yeah, I think, I think when it comes to Chet, I think he has the lowest floor, but also he has like probably the most intriguing ceiling out of all of them. Yeah. Because he, I mean, he can still handle the ball and at seven foot, I mean, that's pretty nasty. It's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Um, some of the, some of the players that I thought were interesting to watching the, during the tournament were, uh, I mean, he, this guy's not like a sleeper or anything. He's like a lottery projection. But Benedict Matherin for Arizona, um, he was he was my favorite player to watch in college basketball this year. I think he's just going to be a super solid player. I don't know like how high his ceiling is, like when it comes to like being an all all star or anything but like it's it's definitely possible he's like a shot creator that is like super athletic good defender just a super solid player all around and was the best player on what most people thought was the best team for a good amount of the year um and then also for carolina caleb love i think he is projected to go like late second round maybe like he's not He's not gaining a lot of love when it comes to like mock drafts, but watching him against um oh, who do you put up 30 against? It might have been UCLA, but um yeah, he had 27 in the second half and he was just hitting big shot after big shot um and he looks like a player that has the ability to be like a pretty strong scorer in the league. And then finally, I wanted to talk about Jalen Williams of Arkansas. He's a super solid player. He like gives me. He's like a. I don't want to be the guy that always compares players to Draymond Green, but like, he's a good passer, a lot of toughness, great defender, just like a winning player. Um, and he can also shoot the ball pretty well. But he was one of my favorite players to watch this tournament, and Arkansas was. I just really liked watching that team. But yeah, those are those are a few guys that I wanted to mention. 
But other I than do that, wonder if we see like the last couple of years we've had Scotty Barnes jump in like the top four like late because of like what he showed in like the combine and his pro day and stuff. And then also Patrick Williams did that two years ago and got drafted number four. I do wonder if we see a player that's going to like jump into the top four. I feel like it's unlikely this season just because like the three and Jaden Ivy have just kind of been set as like the top four all year. So I'm, I mean, I'm kind of waiting to see someone take a super big jump, but I don't know if we're going to get it. Yeah, I think, I think the top four is set. I think it's like that five spot that's going to be interesting to watch. I think you got players like Matherin, you got Shaden Sharp, Shaden Sharp, I think it is, the Kentucky guard that didn't play all year. Um, mm-hmm. Keegan Murray, Johnny Davis. Yeah, those two guys from the Big Ten. Jalen Duran from Memphis. Yeah. Uh, I think Mark Williams is super intriguing. A.J. Griffin, both those Duke guys, I think, are going to be great NBA players. Um, but yeah, this draft this draft is pretty stacked, just like it was last year, I think. Young talents just kind of keep pouring in every draft, but... Yeah, I think those top four are set. That's just my opinion. Just with the elite ceilings of each one of those guys. And, yeah. Did you want to touch on the the last topic we had, or do you want to cut it cut it now? Uh, yeah, we can just mention it real quick. Right. With just, like, the draft and stuff. Um, we talked about this last episode, but we didn't end up posting because our audio is messed up but just to talk about like the shift in like the wing dominance in the league I think that will play that's going to play an interesting role in this draft again so like I think five years ago we would look at Jabari Smith a lot different than we do now I think like the wing like switchability and just the dominance of the wing in the league this year and the importance of having like super good wings that can defend, shoot, and, like, do everything on the court is, like, so important now, I think. That's why we look at Paolo and Jabari as maybe the top two prospects in this draft when, like, maybe five or ten years ago we'd, like, see Jane and Ivy and be like, dude, this this guard is, like, going to be unstoppable, which, like, he might be, but I think a lot of NBA GMs are, like, Okay, how can we how can we get another like wing that can do everything on our team? And I think when you look at teams like the Raptors and the Clippers and like with all their wings they have like and their ability to win games in like so many different ways. Um I think the shift in the league is like happening really quick with like the versatility of wings, but I don't know. Do you think it's coming got? because Obviously, when this all started, centers were looked at to be like, you need a good big that can control the paint and score down there. And then we kind of went into this guard phase where you needed that elite guard to kind of control the offense and have everything run through him that can go get his own shot. Um, Now we're kind of moving into the wings that can do everything and have amazing versatility on the offensive end and defensive end. Um, and I kind of feel like this all started with like the small ball movement that the Warriors kind of 
started with sliding Draymond to the five um, and had, inserting Iggy in there instead of Andrew Bogut in 2015. Um, yeah, I think that was kind of just like the start of this wing movement. And like, if you have versatile wings that can play one or like three through five, you're going to be a really good team just because of the versatility that wings can have in on the offensive end and defensive end of the floor. Yeah, and I think it started like with this generation watching LeBron and Kevin Durant. Like, those are the two guys that were like playing point guard, but they were between like six eight and like six eleven, and could do everything, could defend everybody. And like now we're getting every single year we have like like five solid prospects that like obviously they're not. Kevin Durant or LeBron James, but they're skilled wings that have a lot of athleticism and are versatile on both ends of the floor. And I think it's super exciting to watch. I I think that like mold of a player is like super fun to watch and how dominant they can be on both ends of the floor. So that's why I have Paulo at my number one pick, and I think I probably would put Jabari as my number two pick just because I think that's how important wings are and that's how important like the position's going to be in the next like the foreseeable future but yeah yeah and i mean it sucks that we couldn't post our last episode cuz we did touch on like the wing position a lot in that like that episode and just how like having a versatile wing that can switch really anything and can be a good offensive weapon is just so elite in the league right now so, I mean, kind of a bummer that we didn't get to post that one, but it's definitely it's definitely a topic that I think has been talked about a lot on like in NBA media. But I think it's just super fun to discuss like what the league can look like, and like we're seeing it with teams already like shifting to that these lineups, and I think the Raptors are the best like, picture of that that we have in the league, but. I think in five years we could see a lot of teams that are just full of like four wing lineups, like with one guard or something like that. So yeah, but that's that's all. So, I have. so you have Paulo and Jabari as your one and two. Who do you have as like? Who do you have kind of following that? Just like name your last three. I guess your top five. Um, I'd go Paulo Jabari. Jaden, Chet, and then I think the fifth pick is super dependent on who's picking. But well, who I'd do prop- you think is number five? I think Matherin or Griffin. Probably Matherin. I'd probably go Matherin. How about okay. you? You give me your top five. Right now, I have Paula one, and I have Ivy two, just because I think. I just love guards, and I just think that they're always going to be super important in the league and just having one that can control the game, kind of like we're seeing with Ja Morant. I feel like Ivy kind of has that potential. Um, And then I'd go Chet, Jabari, and then I like Jalen Duran from Memphis, his athletic ability, and I'm pretty sure he's like one of the youngest in the draft, if I'm not mistaken. 
Yeah, uh, he's, he's like he's a beast for sure. So yeah, I mean, just his athletic ability and versatility. I think he could be super good and kind of be that that five that can switch a lot as well on the defensive end. Kind of maybe like a Robert Williams. But yeah. yeah. Mark Mark Williams is my favorite center in this draft. I, other than Chet, but I think Mark Williams is going to be a really good starting center in the league. But I like I like Dern too. For sure. Do you have anything else to add? I think or, that's all for today. Yeah, I think we're good. All right, hope everybody enjoyed the episode. We'll see you next week. See you guys.